We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson in studio with Robin Jones Gunn, whose company I thoroughly enjoy. Mutual. We're bringing to you Hetty Green Part Two. And we were just at the mysterious place. For those of you who um, haven't heard this episode since last week and you're dying to know, was her father and was her aunt poisoned? Well, we don't know, but when you hear this story, you'll decide. <laughs> And you know what's interesting, Cheryl, is how you said at the end of the last podcast that this Hetty is a woman worth knowing. We, You and I mm-hmm. many times have said we believe every woman is a woman Absolutely. worth knowing. Right. And that's why we are always collecting stories because there's so many tales to be told. And as you said, to set the record straight. That's right. So your selection of Hetty is so interesting because it wasn't because of her inroads into Christian mission field endeavors, right? A lot of the women that we talk about, those women really fascinate us, but we both are getting pretty riveted here with Hetty because of how she changed how things were done for women. That's right. And that makes her a woman worth knowing. It really does. And again, she is a Quaker. She was a devout Quaker, but um, something interesting at the end of her life, which we'll get to hopefully this time. But Hetty married Edward Green July 11th, 1867. She was 33 years old. And again, uh, she waited because she had to be sure. But one of the reasons she married Edward was one, he had his own fortune. Two, he was super intelligent. He listened to her advice and he had supported her. Um, through the death and sickness of both her father and her aunt and supported her even when she filed these lawsuits. He really, really supported her. Um, When she got married, she got married at her cousin's, the Grinnell's house, a beautiful Victorian house. And she wore a beautiful gown with roses on the shoulders and her hair just in all these curls. And everyone said she just looked beautiful. Mm. Her maid of honor was Annie Leary. Now, Annie Leary was highly placed in society, one of the matrons of society. In fact, later she became Countess Annie Leary, but she was Hetty's best friend from the time that they met in society. They were best friends. Annie Leary never you know, entered the business world. She was an heiress. But what Annie did was she was always giving away her money to charity. She was a philanthropist and she didn't care about keeping the money. She just wanted to bestow it on others, especially churches. And this is her very, very best friend in the maid of honor. Now, there's a photograph of her wedding that appeared in Collier's magazine because it really was um, a wedding of the century because she was already, by all accounts, one of the wealthiest women in the United States. Mm. And here she is, and she's beautiful. So everybody was interested in, you know, who she married. And it's interesting because Edward was not good looking. He was not her match, but he was portly, but she felt she could trust him. And, and ten she years married older. Him. Right. And how few people like her maid of honor, like her husband, yeah. that she could just feel herself with. And not trust. that they wanted something from her. Right. And especially since she lost her father and her aunt, yeah. who had been the two kind of um, 
stable pillars, whether her father was kind to her. But at the end, he really seemed to love and respect her. And again, even trying to protect her uh, with whatever marriage that she made. So Edward Green worked for a company based in London. So they took a voyage immediately on the steamship Russia, a Cunard, to London. And they lived in a nice hotel, and he worked in London for a company. And Hetty gave birth to her son, Ned, at the Langham Hotel, August 22nd, 1898. And the minute she saw her son, Ned, she said, all of my fortune, everything I have is for you. And she said, from this point on, um, well, actually, then uh, she gave birth to a daughter, um, Sylvia. And I'm sorry, the, the son was born in 1868. The daughter was born in 1871. And when she saw her daughter, Sylvia, she pledged herself to the, their welfare. Her life became not about her, even though it was she loved making money and investments. But she she said, I'm going to make all these investments so they'll be secure for the rest of their lives. I'm going to do this for them. Now, she and Edward, by all accounts, had a very happy marriage at this point, And they called each other Mama and Papa. <laughs> and they just loved Ned and Sylvia. They lived a very upper-class lifestyle because her husband was more, um, he wasn't austere. He liked the finer things and the finer hotels and the finer places to eat and stuff. He, he liked all that. Because he came from those simple roots. And That's right. His dad ran right. the village produce stand. Right. You know? And so he liked all that. And so they would travel the continent. In the meantime, um, Hetty would go to his office and she would keep making her investments and checking on everything, even while being a mother. Uh, they also traveled all over uh, Europe because he was heavily invested in the train system in Europe. And he was working to bring uh, the trains uh, to America. And he was getting like France to invest in the trains in America and, and different, you know, um, countries to invest in America. So they went all over. So again, here's part of her culture. I mean, she is cultured. She yes. can be cultured. She was a debutante. She went to finishing school. She's an heiress. She dates back to the Mayflower. Um, this is all important because of the way she's going to choose to live is going to be shocking in light of all of this. But they moved back to the States in October of 1873, seven years later. And funny enough, they came back on the same ship that they had gone over on, the mm. Russia ship. And again, this was a really posh ship and they had state rooms and they ate lavishly. So for a time, they lived in New York and Hetty was already known for her astute business sense and her fortune was rapidly growing. Um, so those who held her inheritance, they were already getting dishonest. So they were there to win her over and to, you know, no, your investments are safe. But she started checking on her investments and she'd start calling them out on um, their embezzlement and things that didn't seem right because she knew more than they did about these investments. Are you going to tell us what happened with the uh, will of Sylvia, her aunt? Well, it remained in court. She fought it for the rest of her life. She really? The rest of her life, she spent in and out of court oh. fighting that will. At one point, they awarded her 200000 of the will, and that was it. And that doctor ended up 
um, leaving the community and nobody knew what happened to him. So he took the money and ran. In fact, a lot of people didn't even believe he was a doctor. I mean, he was just a charlatan um, and he never showed up for the court. And But the other side, the house, the people who had worked in the house, like the maiden stuff, they got the best forensic scientists and lawyers they could and they fought her you know, tongue and nail the whole way. I always get my metaphors I mean, mixed up. You know what? I just keep thinking, why has there not been a movie made about I know. This? She's fa- I guess it's, there is. Oh. But they took more. About this, uh, later on, the press is going to turn against her. And, and you'll find out why, too. Well, yes, because they nicknamed her the Witch of Wall Street. Right. Uh, right. Uh, and other things. They said terrible things yeah. about her. But we'll we'll get to that in just a second. But... Hetty continued to show an uncanny business acumen. There were even men, investors, who would seek out her advice. Wise men sought out her advice. Um, charlatans sought to get her fortune. Edward wanted to move back to Vermont, especially to Bellows Falls, because he's a big deal in Bellows Falls. You know, he's the big <laughs> deal. He's like, you know, their favorite son that went away poor and came back right. a millionaire. So they... Um, they moved back. Um, it's interesting, too. In Bella Falls, not only had his grandfather and his father owned like the market, the produce stand, but they also owned the first covered bridge in Vermont. Oh, they were the owners of it. Charming. Yes. <laughs> so um, Bella Falls is super excited to see, you know, their millionaire son and his millionaire wife, who is richer than he is, like, you know. Unheard Ten of. times. And they're thinking she's going to come with, you know, just riches and gold and, you know, silver <laughs> and just dressing, you know, so posh. And here comes Hetty, plainly dressed and simple, liking simple meals. And everybody was just aghast. Back they were to her so. Quaker roots. Absolutely. Because it's all about the kids. So she moves into the childhood home of Edward. He actually purchased it from some relative. And he moves his mother in. And Hetty and her mother-in-law do not get along at all because Hetty's mother-in-law wants to um, show off her son's riches. She wants to have silver, bring out silver and crystal goblets. And she wants to live lavishly in this furniture. And Hetty's like, oh, we don't need this. We don't need this. And she... She decorates the house like a Quaker. So the mother-in-law keeps moving things in. Hetty moves them out. Hetty fires the cook because the meals are too elaborate and she just wants simple meals. And she thinks that the children need to learn simplicity. And the mother-in-law likes the lavish meals. And like, why do you have money if you don't spend it? So there is this constant friction between these two women. And then the gossip and the slander started circulating. This is what they said. She's so cheap that she buys sacks of broken crackers to feed her family. She's so cheap she tries to get free bones for her dog from the butcher. She's so cheap she bargains over the price of potatoes. Now the grocer who loved her swore up and down that none of those stories were true. And yet they persisted. So about this time, you know, they're living in Bellow Falls. He commutes to New York uh, via the train, sometimes by carriage. She will never take the carriage. It's way too expensive. And she'll go every once in a while, check on her investments. But her son, Ned, was absolutely rambunctious. He was energetic, full of life, life, life. And one day he is sledding 
and he hurts his leg really, really bad. So Hetty sends for the doctor. So the doctor refuses to get out of the carriage until Hetty pays a certain amount of money. And oh. Hetty's like, you're a charlatan <laughs> if you're going to do that. So she nurses Ned. She just, you know, nurses Ned, you know, she does kind of her own makeshift cast, and he's better. He's doing great. He's able to walk again. But he's climbing up a tree, and he falls out of the tree, and this time he dislocates the, the knee completely. So she and her husband take him to all these specialists, but she had the feeling that the minute they walked into a specialist, if they used the name Edward Green, that they would take them down a path of no return. And so she you know, had a, a couple— doctors that she felt like no and they wanted to amputate right away and having lived through mm. the civil war she knew all these amputees mm. and she's like not my son remember this is the one that's going to get her fortune this is the one that yeah. she's just devoted to both um, ned and sylvia and so she's like no so she took him to over 20 specialists and they all said the same thing you're going to have to amputate in fact, sometimes she dressed up and she gave a false name just to see if it was a legitimate <laughs> diagnosis. And you could see where somebody in her position would yes, have to do this. Yes. But what the newspaper said is that she was trying to get free medical care, oh, which was never true. She spent over $10,000 trying to get the best care for her son. And meanwhile, Ned is in pain. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And he's rambunctious. Like, what do you do with someone? So eventually they had to get Ned's um, foot amputated, uh, his leg amputated from the knee down. And Ed absolutely loved it. He took to his prosthesis and he was able to get around. And you would never know that Ed had like a, a prosthesis because, and she paid for one of the best prosthesis ever in those days. But you would never know it. He was the jolliest, happiest um Great personality uh, kid. And she taught him all she could about business. Uh, she tried to teach her daughter, Sylvia, who was named after her aunt, who she adored, um, business. But Sylvia just didn't have the mind for it. And Sylvia looked just like her father. She was stoutly oh. and she did not have Hetty's good looks. Renette had like all the best of Hetty and all the best of her husband, Edward. He had, um, he was charming. He was good looking. In fact, Hattie worried about him marrying the wrong woman, and she ran many a woman off because she she wanted to make sure Ned got the best woman. Ned actually was dating an actress on the side, and Hetty didn't know about it, and he ended up, after Hetty died, marrying this woman. But nevertheless, um, you know, Ned went off to college, um, and about this time, you know, it's just her and Sylvia, and Sylvia's growing up. Too, and Sylvia doesn't need her as much. And there had been rumors about her husband Edward's uh, womanizing and gambling, but Hetty didn't really care. You know, he's got a great personality. He needs some freedom. I'm so austere. You know, everything is all right. Well, he came back after his mother had died. His mother died, and and Hetty had nursed the mother, but she was older. And he came back, and the table was totally austere. I mean, they had like wooden cups and wooden plates. All the china was gone. And he found one goblet and he said, where are the rest of these? And she said, I packed them away. I don't want them to get broken. And he took the one goblet and he threw it against the wall. And he said, I can't take this anymore. And he had moved to New York. Um, and that's when she heard about his womanizing and his gambling. She didn't really care. 
She didn't really care. Like, oh, men will be men. But then he lost his fortune from his gambling and from some unwise investments. And he went into her money. And that was something she couldn't tolerate. Be unfaithful, uh, gamble, as long as it's on your own and you don't touch my money, I'm fine. Because that money is our children's money. And she felt like that was a breach of trust, not the other. This was a breach of trust. So in 1885, they separated, but neither one of them wanted a divorce. Again, she's Quaker. She's not about to divorce him, but she did that to protect all her assets so he couldn't touch any of her money. Um, now, wasn't it in the prenuptial that... Yes. So it was totally a- illegal, but he, she didn't want him arrested. In fact, oh, she ended up paying off his debts. And making him solvent again so he could reinvest. She paid it off. And she paid it off, I think, three or four times. And she said, as long as it's on my, um, you know, I'm doing it, I will do it. You can come to me and tell me what you need, and I will pay for it. But don't just take my money ever. So she did um, get him out of debt. Also, it's important at this time to let everyone know, she gave liberally to charities, but she never did it under her name. So she gave money to Annie Leary and specified charities that she wanted the money to go to. And Annie Leary later told everybody about that. But she would give liberally to churches, to charities. But she was afraid if it got out that she gave, people would come for her money. And so she did it um, surreptitiously. Uh, But she was very very generous to certain causes that she believed in she would give money to. Um, About this time, because Sylvia is old enough to take care of herself in Bellow Falls, um, Hetty begins to commute to New York because she wants to know what's going on. And sometimes she takes Sylvia with her. Well, she owns a house in Bellow Falls and she owns 140 acres in um, Bedford, New Bedford, Massachusetts. So why would she buy a house in New York? But she owns lots of property in New York, but she rents those out. So she stays at a rooming house. She gives a false name because she said the minute they see Hetty Green, they raise the rent. So she lives in these boarding houses. She chose nice boarding houses. I mean, yes, just the challenges. Right. And she ate breakfast at the boarding house, which was made for her because that's what they used to do in Mm -hmm. those days. You would get your boarding and you would get your breakfast and you would get your dinner. And then she found this little cafe that she highly recommended where she could get soup and crusty bread for 10 cents. And she said it was the best soup ever. So that's where she would go every day. And she was, she was a Quaker. She was penny pinching and she didn't care about her clothes. So she dressed really, really um, plainly. And Because she was getting so wealthy, the press would follow her. They tried to figure out where she was staying and where she lived. Um, Charlatans would try to follow her. So she was always trying to elude them, even just walking to whatever boarding house. So she changed boarding houses, times she stayed at hotels, but just trying to elude the charlatans because she was a woman and she felt vulnerable. Now, at this time, she was now the richest woman, not just in America, but in the 
world. Really? She was, her wealth it's now incredible. is in the billions. Um, incredible. It's in the millions then, but what would be the billions now? Yeah, the late 1800s. Right. But her simple ways and her intrusion on Wall Street became the subject of gossip and tabloids. Anything with Hetty Green and something she did that was churlish sold like crazy. So they would say that she did her oatmeal on a radiator. Um, she didn't. She <laughs> ate at this little cafe. Um, but she took an office at the Chemical Bank. And the Chemical Bank was where her trustees were, the ones that her father had hired. And they gave her an office because, one, she wanted to keep an eye on them and they wanted to keep an eye on her. <laughs> and, you know, again, they've got all these millions. So they want, they're going to do whatever Hetty wants. And she was able to keep all her files there, which she kept locked. So she would go to that bank and she would start investing. Also, a lot of the um, men who worked at the bank were asking her for her advice. And her advice was bar none. She was the best analyst that anyone knew. But there were other men, uh, some of the trustees, who would leak these false stories to the press because they wanted to ruin her, because they were jealous, one, and two, they were dishonest. And she began to recognize that dishonesty. And so she sued them. She was in and out of courts, as I said, and not afraid to sue somebody that she felt was dishonest. And she didn't care how much money it cost to sue, to, to turn the wrongs to right. Now, Hetty wanted to see her daughter happily married, and her friend Annie Larry came to her and said, I am not going to be able to get her into society with you looking this way, Hetty. You look shabby. Your daughter's got to be embarrassed, and, you know, you're, you're, you're scaring the suitors away. Well, Hetty said, well, I don't, you know, I've seen some suitors, and I know they're after her money. So Annie Leary said, look, stay with me, and let's dress you up a little bit, and Let's start introducing your daughter to society. So that's exactly what Hetty did because um, Annie Leary convinced her that she was an embarrassment to Ned and to Sylvia. And for the sake of Ned and Sylvia, she got a new wardrobe and started dressing not so plainly because she didn't want to embarrass her children. Some of the stories that were circulating about Hetty was that she did not wash her clothes, only the hem of her garments to save money on soap. I mean, they were pretty cool. <laughs> um, and that she ate onions. Uh, but she did eat onions because she believed they warded off colds. But that was not like her only right. food that she ate. Um, so she began to stay at nicer hotels um, and wear the appropriate uh, clothes because of her children. It was all for her children. Everything she did, they were at the, you know, forefront of everything that she did. Now, her um, husband, Edward, became sick, because I'm going to skip over a whole bunch of years, because they're just, you know, she's investing, she's making money. Uh, the paparazzi's following right, her. Right, the paparazzi. <laughs> and also, at the same time, one of the first recessions hits America, and it's bad. It's like the first depression mm -hmm. before the second depression. And she even bails out New York. Uh, she's really good friends with J.P. Morgan. <laughs> Super of close. Of course and, But they they talk investments together, and, you know, we'll eat lunch at her 10-cent cafe. Um, in fact, it's interesting because they kept saying in the book that Warren Buffett is has a lifestyle much like Hetty's, which is hilarious. But anyway, so she's living, um, she's, uh, you know, making more and more money, but feeling like she needs to improve how she's dressing. Again, 
for her children. Now, Edward becomes sick. And um, Hetty moves back to Bellow Falls. And she moves Edward in with her. And she begins to take care of Edward and just nurse him and take care of him. He had some kind of kidney disorder. Um, and he died on March 19th. 1902, he was 81 years old. Hetty was 66 years old. So about this time, Sylvia became engaged to Matthew Astor Wilkes, who was a grandson of John Astor. And he was wealthy by his own right. And that was one of the things she wanted to ensure that it would be a marriage of love. And again, Sylvia is no looker, right? But Matthew was no looker. And Matthew had never married and he's 63 years old. And he and Sylvia had a meeting of the minds and the hearts. Sylvia is 38. But they get married and they have a very, very, they have a beautiful wedding that Hetty gives them a beautiful wedding with the help of Annie Leary. And they have a very, very happy marriage. In fact, Hetty started staying with them. Every time she would go to New York, she would just stay with um, Sylvia and Matthew. And she was very welcome in their home. Hetty lived in... um, uh, different properties, as we talked about, living anonymously to stay away from the charlatans. So after the death of her husband, she began to worry about her own safety, and she purchased a little pistol that she carried with her at all times. And she began to worry that maybe she was being poisoned, too. Um, in the meantime, Hetty was extremely proud of Ned. Ned moved to Texas, but Ned could do no wrong at all. If his investment failed, oh, that's Ned. She would bail him out. He could do no wrong. She relished her time with Ned um, whenever he came into town. In fact, he bought a red roadster and she bought it from him uh, just to have at her house. So every time he came to town, he could drive her all over in this red roadster. And she was one of the first to invest in car. She said, this is the wave of the of future. I amazing. can tell. Mm-hmm. So in her 80s, she became sick. And her son and daughter took care of her until her death at 81 years old. And so I just want to end with a few heady green quotes. She writes this. There's one reason why we have hard times. Money. Easy coming and easy going. American children are not taught how to save money, but how to spend it. Everything they want, give it to them as long as they know the price of credit. That's the policy of the modern mother. And she is raising a nation of spendthrifts whose one thought is to get what they want when they want. And then she said. And that was over 100 years ago. Yes. She said that. I know. Wow. She said, I feel that I am doing and taking care of the increasing trust left me by my family. And the Lord is blessing me in it. Mm. Um, she said, every girl should be taught that the ordinary, the ordinary lines of business investment, whether rich or poor, a young woman should know how uh, bank accounts work. Understand the composition of mortgages and bonds and know the value of interest and how it accumulates. I think fathers should always talk such things over with their daughters as well as their sons. If they did so, girls would learn to think among business lines and not be at the prey of business sharps who prey upon the weaker sex. It's interesting because I forgot to mention this about the Quakers earlier. The Quakers believed that women should be educated exactly like men, that they should receive the same education. So you see with her grandfather, Gideon, he made sure that she received the same education, you know, a very good education. Quakers also had no, they didn't believe in lawsuits. This is where Hetty really 
did not stick with their Quaker roots. But they felt like the Quakers themselves should be the arbiters of um, of disputes within the Society of Friends. And men and women both could be the arbitrators of these disputes because they would both be educated. They also felt like women and men could both be preachers, uh, you know, have the church. But they didn't believe women should enter in into business. Isn't that crazy? It's like, what? You'll let us have all that, but not this? So part of the Quaker upbringing, that's why she's saying girls need to be taught about business. That should be part of their um, education. Her favorite poem is called My Symphony by William Henry Channing. And I just want to read it really quickly because it's to live content with small means, to seek elegance rather than luxury and refinement rather than fashion, to be worthy, not respectable, and wealthy, not rich, to study hard, think quietly, talk gently, act frankly, to listen to stars, birds, babes, and sages with open heart, to bear all cheerfully, do all bravely, await occasions, hurry never, in a word, to let the spiritual unbidden and unconscious grow up through the common, this is to be my symphony." Oh, that's beautiful. That was her favorite poem, and she loved to quote it. So when Ned died, he died childless. He gave his entire fortune to his sister, Sylvia, which was still— they made it easily through the Depression with no um, loss of money at all. They were solvent throughout the whole Depression, and he died uh, somewhere after the Depression. He gave all of his money to Sylvia. Sylvia also um, died childless childless and every iota of money that was laid up for her she gave to charity it went to churches um, and all sorts of different uh, charities Um, and that was the legacy of Hetty Green when you think that all that money I mean obviously if her children were that charitable and gave it some of the money went to MIT and the properties and everything went to colleges education to churches and to Christian organizations, every iota of it. And that, my friend, is why Hetty is a woman worth knowing. She's fascinating. Isn't she? I'm glad you brought her. Yes. I know. It was a little different when it was like, oh, well, I could do Hetty Gurry. I know. And I'm going, now who's that? Yeah. Because she was super controversial, even when she was alive. And she's, again, in a lot of sermon illustration books of what you don't want to be. In fact, my father used her. So I was like, oh. He used to talk about, oh, Hetty Green, you know, she's the whole reason. He used to, you know, get her newspaper and then make her son go out in the snow and resell it. Uh, that was one of the stories. <laughs> that never happened. That was not anything that she did ever at all. I mean, Ned was her dream child. He was coddled as best he could be, you know, fed plain food. And she did get secondhand clothes for the kids because felt like they didn't need it until Annie Leary stepped in and said, no, Hetty, no. And Annie Leary seems to be her reasonable side. And and Hetty really listened to her best friend. So I ended up actually liking Hetty. I don't think we would have been friends. <laughs> I think we traveled in different circles. <laughs> yes. Um, you wouldn't have met at the debutante no, ball. Is no, that what you're saying? Nor, nor on Wall Street. Yes. But I, I did find her absolutely fascinating. So. I just keep thinking, you know, if we lay up for yourself treasure yes, in heaven. heaven. That's right. And the fact that so much of what was given to her and she gave credit to God that it was a blessing that God had given right. to her this and then how through her daughter it was used to fuel so many so many ministries and charities yeah. 
there's a scripture in Proverbs that says that the rich, no, sorry, the wicked lay up riches that will all go to the righteous. Somehow I love that scripture, you know, because at the end, you know, it's, it all belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So that was another episode. We can't wait to get back to you next week with probably a godly woman. I think we're going to go back to (laughs) a godly woman, but this was interesting. (laughs) She was. She was very interesting. Glad you shared about her. Thank you. Okay. Until next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and our new co-host, Robin Gunn. For more information about Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about Robin, visit RobinGunn.com, that's gun with two N's, or follow her on Instagram and Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Gunn.